as I've listened to people and their accounts and their stories and their experiences from our time under the stay-at-home order during quarantine, it's been amazing to hear some sweet memories and, and new experiences and, and even family time together during this whole time. But I gotta be honest, there have been some not-so-sweet memories, have there not? I mean, one of my least favorite accounts from this time under this stay-at-home order happened just a few weeks ago. I walked into our son Lincoln's room and something caught my eye in his trash can in his room. And as I looked in there, I saw hundreds and hundreds of Lego pieces. And these weren't just any Lego pieces. These Lego pieces were from a very uh, sentimental Lego set that I had growing up. It was a space shuttle, and I, I know the pieces of that set. And so to see all these in the trash can instantly provoked a reaction in me. I went and found Lincoln, and I said, what happened? What were you thinking or not thinking? And he said, I, I got mad. I couldn't keep it together. Everything was in pieces, so I threw it away. And as I thought on that, I realized I can't really blame him. I mean, it didn't cross his mind how nostalgic this was for me. It didn't cross his mind all the hours he and I spent putting it together. And then I realized that's where I've been. Isn't that where we've all been at some point during this stay-at-home order? I mean, there's come a point where maybe we've all felt like we were losing our minds, we were losing our wits, that our nerves were frazzled. I mean, come on, let, let's be honest. If, we're, if we were to continue watching Netflix at the pace we've watched Netflix, we're going to run out of new content from them. We've seen it all. We will have walked every single path and every single route around our neighborhoods. And eventually, we're all going to realize finally what day it is. And we're going to realize that we've worn the same shirt, the same shorts, the same underwear five, six, seven days, at least if you're like me. Okay, that was too much information. Let's not, let's edit that. All right, this will be better. Some of us have worn the same clothes five, six, seven days straight, so I've heard. Anyhow, so as I thought about that, I realized we've all had a sense of everything kind of falling apart. And whatever structures we thought we were in control of, those have been laid down. And, and some of them have been laid, laid waste, and, and we've just not known what to do. And as I've thought about Peter's first letter to the church, when the church had been scattered and had fallen apart, I realized we're not the first ones to have gone through this. And what better counsel could we get? than the Word of God, on how we proceed, coming out of our stay-at-home order, whatever that timeline looks like, however that's going to look. See, Peter was writing to a church that was struggling to hope. They'd been displaced. All their routines, whatever they had depended on, all of it had been scattered and had fallen apart. And Peter, in, his, in this next part of his letter, is going to address this crucial question. How does a Christian keep it together when everything has been scattered apart? And God's answer to that question very clearly comes out at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 of Peter's first letter to the church. But before we get there, I want to point you to three different areas that Peter points at as a human answer to what you do to keep things together when everything has fallen apart. The first comes in chapter 1, verse 24, and here is what Peter has to say. 
He says, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. And despite having that perspective, isn't it true that when our world falls apart, one of the first things we look to is our glory? He continues into a very natural human behavior. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now he's moving into behaviors that actually affect other people. And the reason we affect other people is because we see other people as a threat to the way we want to do things and what we want. He continues. He, when he talks about the, the living stone that Jesus Christ is, he says there's, there's something else humans do. Verse 7 of chapter 2. He says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. See, isn't it true that we're prone to go our own way? We're prone to look for our own way of doing things. Even if we know that Jesus is a better way, even, even if we know that his ways are, are less burdensome for us and they're life-giving, we can still reject his way of living for our own. See, when things get difficult, we tend to do this fight-or-flight thing where we think about our own glory, other people's offenses, and we reject any help from outside of us. One, one author put it this way. They said, difficulty, persecution, being scattered, falling apart, tough times, difficulty can cause us to either grow up in our faith or to grow very self-centered. Our response is going to determine the difference. And there's, there's in a very real way that when things go back to square one, we tend to look out for number one. We tend to think about ourselves. And so maybe Legos is the best thing to come back to as we talk about this. When things have fallen apart, would you consider Legos for a moment? I mean, if you've ever played with Legos, none of us, none of us would say that every single piece of the Lego set should look the exact same. But this is what we tend to do. When things get difficult, we look around and we think people need to think like I think. And people need to look like I look. But you would never build a Lego set with all the same piece. All you'd have is, is a blob of the exact same looking thing. You'd have a block, a much larger block that looks just like this one. And so in the midst of all the difficulty, in the, in the midst of the pieces of their lives having fallen apart, it's estimated that his letter to the church was written to a church that had been scattered across at least five different provinces. In the middle of all that scattering, Peter looks at the church, and he begins talking about something that they probably weren't thinking he ought to be talking about. He began to speak to the idea of beginnings. And he holds up three different images that I want us to look at. Going back to the end of chapter 1, here's what Peter has to say. He refers to a seed. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now that, that imagery of a seed is, is very interesting. See, when we think about seeds, of course we think about a new beginning, but isn't it true 
that like we think of seeds, those new beginnings need to be perfect. The conditions need to be just right. The care needs to be just right. So many elements and variables need to be just right. And yet we've all heard the saying that if you, work, if you wait for the perfect beginning, you'll never get started. And Peter says, you now are, you're born again. And so your new beginning, as life has been scattered, as the church had been scattered, as our own lives have been scattered, he says, your new beginning, the conditions may not be perfect. And that's okay. Because the seed, the seed that you've been born again with, it's a different kind of seed. It can grow regardless of the conditions. And so the question for you and I, as we think about a new beginning going forward, coming out of the stay-at-home order, whatever that looks like, whenever that looks like. The question for us is, are we engaging that word? Are we engaging the seed of his word under all conditions, in all circumstances? Peter then moves to a second image at the beginning of chapter 2. On the heels of talking about those very natural human behaviors like deceit and envy and malice and everything else, he holds up another image. He says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word and the beginning that it, it provides and it stirs within us is not just imperishable. It's a beginning that actually nourishes us. It nurtures us into growth. And that growth is into the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And so it brings up another question for you and I. What's our diet during this time? I don't mean physical food. I mean, what is our diet? Is it a diet of news headlines that oftentimes create fear? Is it a diet of those natural human behaviors we spoke of earlier? Of, of staring at everybody else's offenses and the things that other people are not in our eyes, of envy, of malice, of deceit, of hypocrisy? Peter says, or instead, you could crave pure spiritual milk that provides growth, that nurtures us to actually mature and to grow. And then he lands on this third image that we're going to spend a little bit of time on today. In chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, As you come to him, the living stone, there was the starting point of a seed, there was the starting point of milk, and now it's the living stone that is Jesus. Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Did you catch the progression there? Peter started with one stone, the living stone that is Jesus Christ. He progressed to living stones that are the body of Christ being built into a spiritual house. Now, that's a, that's a departure from how we think, especially when life falls apart, isn't it? I mean, when life falls apart, I, sure, I look, I look out for my own glory, and I look out for uh, what other people could do to me. But isn't the other thing we do is we just revolve around ourselves? In the culture we live in, especially, we think about how everything impacts me and what I want and what I think should happen. But Peter says, no, 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 this is a different kind of beginning. Even though the church had been scattered, he said, I want you to think about yourself as part of something. And it brings up a question. 
as I think about re-emerging, as I think about whatever the timeline is, whatever the time frame is, whatever phases or measures we've got to go through to re-emerge from this whole stay-at-home order, who am I thinking about? Am I just thinking about me, or am I thinking about others? See, square one could be an opportunity to look out for number one, or we could look beyond ourselves, look past number one. Maybe square one, through the lens of God, is an opportunity to start differently. With the word of God that endures like an imperishable seed, with the word of God that nurtures like pure spiritual milk, with the word of God that builds. I mean, isn't that how God has operated all through Scripture anyway? Think about it. There was, there was Joseph in Genesis. He had a dream somewhere near his teenage years, and in his dream, all he could see was his part. All he could see was that others were going to bow down to him. And decades later, when that dream was realized, he, he, he realized something, that that dream was not just about Joseph. It was about what God was doing. It was what, about what God was building, what God was nurturing, what was going to endure. There was a shepherd boy, David, and after all his brothers had been looked through as candidates for the next king of Israel, there was David, the overlooked one, and it was with David that God did something that would be enduring. It was with David that God did something that would nurture his people. It was with David that God did something that would build. Their square one was an opportunity to start differently. And of course, there was Nazareth. In the overlooked tiny town of Nazareth that many thought nothing could, good could come from, well, that's where the angel met a young lady, Mary, and said, starting here, starting with you, God's going to do something that endures forever, that nurtures and gives life and grows and builds in the midst of everything. I mean, it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like building Legos. And we can, we could lay out all the Legos and we, we could build according to what we think it should look like. Or we could go back to a word. We could go back to a word that maybe isn't what we would have selected or what we even would have thought of, but it's his word. I mean, think about when you start building a Lego set. You often start with pieces that you never would have thought of, that may not even be visible by the time it's all said and done but they're the foundation pieces. And all that means that if square one, if square one means starting differently, not, not looking for number one and looking out for ourselves, but starting differently in God's eyes, then that means we have a decision to make. And it's one that Peter highlights starting in the next verse, in verse six. Take a look. Chapter two, verse six says, for in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Can you hear the choice? Can you hear the choice all the way through here? Peter's inviting the church that's been scattered, that's been spread out, that had been used to meeting together. He's saying there's a choice you have right now. 
You can look out for you or you can begin differently and begin with the cornerstone and build not according to what you think, but what he thinks. And this is hard for us because when you think about a seed, we overlook the start of a seed, don't we? We just want to be a tree. We want to get to that, that level of progress and we want to think about the shade and the size and the magnitude and the fruit and the effect. When it comes to milk, do we not crave a diet other than pure spiritual milk? Do we not crave and gravitate toward fear-producing headlines and, and greed-producing practices and, and less-than-life-giving words? Of course we do. And when it comes to the idea of living stones, isn't it true that we've all gone the direction of just trying to become the most magnificent stone we can and we compare to other stones rather than see ourselves as part of them? We all do. And I have to think that Peter's words, when he wrote these words, were directly tied to a conversation he had had with Jesus years prior to this, in his rearview mirror of his life. It's in Matthew chapter 16. It's a brief conversation. Take a look. Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say I am, guys, as you're listening to everybody? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. Can you hear the movement there? There was this movement from what Peter individually said, and who Peter individually was, and his name meant rock. But regardless of whether Jesus was referring to Peter, and his name meaning rock, or his confession of who Jesus was as the rock and foundation, on which he would build his church. See, Jesus moved from individual confession, individual statement, individual decision to something bigger, to something that endures, to something that's nurtured and grown into, something that's built. Jesus has set in front of Peter a statement, and he set in front of us a statement, and Peter's highlighting it with his letter. That when it comes to going back to square one, whether the church has been scattered or whether we've been scattered into our homes and living apart for a while, when it comes to that moment and those circumstances, you can choose to live for one, we can live for ourselves, or as one, as the church, as a spiritual building. I mean, maybe there's no better picture of this dynamic and this choice than a Lego. It's a living stone, isn't it? I mean, you can take these and you can build anything you want with them. But to overlook these living stones would be a mistake. Because if you've ever stepped on one of these in the middle of night, when you have only your socks or your bare feet, is it not a stumbling block? Are you not going down? Absolutely. And so it is with the life that rejects 
the living stone of Jesus Christ. And there's something so much greater at stake that Peter's eventually trying to land all of us at with this next part of his letter. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what I love about this is the context into which Peter is writing and speaking for them and even for us, because it's clear to me that there are parallels between the church being scattered then and our lives being scattered now, isn't there? And Peter is finally landing on this statement. He's finally landing on, there's so much more at stake here. And don't make the mistake of overlooking what's at stake. Don't make the mistake of living for one when you could live as one. And if that's true, then scattered doesn't matter. It, It reminds me of my second worst moment during this home shutdown. It was the moment that we realized every single Lego we had was scattered throughout our house in various bins. And there were Lego sets that once were all together, and now they were spread apart in multiple different bins. And as we began sorting those Legos and looking through them, as we began trying to look for a way to build them back together, we realized what we needed were a set of plans. And sure, we could go about rebuilding the way we think it would look and the way we think it should be used and the way with the pieces we think need to be part of it. Or we could come back to the word of God that takes this individual living stone and it builds it into something far more than it could ever be on its own. Will we live for one or as one as we reemerge from our time in quarantine, however and whenever that is. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you again for the reminder and the example from the life of Peter, that as he wrote these words decades after these formative conversations with you, that what emerges from all of it is that he points us back to your word, that our lives could be so much more than just looking after our own lives, our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, our own opinions, that we have a heavenly Father who looks beyond all that, and he says, I want to do something with your life. I want to build this into something so much more, something that honors and glorifies me. Remind us of that as we reemerge. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon.